Good morning, Northbrook. Great to see you. If you've got a Bible, we are headed to the book of Galatians, chapter 6. And before we begin, however, let's just take a moment and kind of quiet our hearts and minds as we center ourselves to hear from, hear from God today. Lord, we open our hearts and our minds to hear from you, to think and reflect, to process, and to apply your word and your will to our life. Amen. What is it that you want to be known for? And we're all known for something. And when other people think about you, what thought forms in the imagination? I've got one friend who is known for being really talkative. You know any talkative people? They're great. I love them. I I just know that when I spend an hour with them, I'm going to spend an hour listening to them talk about them. Another person in my life um, that whenever we go somewhere together, like I know I'm going to get stuck with the bill. They just have this unique ability to manipulate the situation so that I always pay. Maybe you know somebody like that. There are other people in my life that are gifted musically. They can sit behind a piano and just plunk off a tune. There are others in my life who I just, when I think of them, I think of someone who is kind or generous. When I was in college, I I had a nickname. My friends called me Chili Drip because I was known for constantly dripping food on my shirt. Every time I ate, it seemed like I would drip something on my shirt. I still do, actually. What if, however... As followers of Jesus, we were known for doing good. Now, of course, God doesn't love us because of the good that we do. God's opinion of us is is so much bigger than that. uh, When I think of when we think of life, um, maybe think of your life as a as a line in time. We're all kind of given this gift called time. My time began in 1975. If you do the math, you know how old I am. In 1975, the Vietnam War was coming to an end. VHS tapes were introduced and the movie Jaws was released. In 1975, when you pulled up to a gas station, you could expect to pay 44 cents a gallon. The average home cost $39,000, and the average Ford Mustang, brand new off the showroom floor, was $4,100. It was a different time in 1975. As I got older and became aware of my existence, there was a question that formed in my young mind, a question that we all ask. 
Who am I? There are lots of ways of, of answering that question. We can answer that question by saying, well, I am what I do. My identity is, is, is surrounded and founded in what it is I produce, who I make happy. I also came to believe that I was what other people said about me. Because if others said it, then it must be true. There was also a narrative in my mind that said something like this, you are what you have. So the nicer things that you have, the better that you are. And because of those those stories in my head, my life has been a bit erratic, right? It's kind of felt like this. When I'm doing good and producing good, I'm good. When, I, when people are saying nice things about me, I'm good. When, when I have nice stuff, I'm good. But when I'm, I'm not doing great, when I'm not producing, when people are saying not nice things about me, then I'm not so good. And so life felt very erratic. But then something happened in 1991. In 1991, I was introduced to Christ. I began a relationship with him. And what I discovered is that God did not love me because of what I did, what others said, or what I had. No, 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 no. My identity was very different. See, see, in his eyes, I am the beloved. You are the beloved of God. That's what the scripture says. And it has nothing to do with what I do, what I have, or what others say about me. And God says this about you. You are loved with an everlasting love. God the Father says, I have written you on the palm of my hand. I have knit you together in your mother's womb. Each cell was created in your body through divine love. There's nothing you can do to earn it or deserve it. So then I asked the question, what does it mean to do good as the beloved of God? Not because we have to, but because we want to. See, understanding what that means will help us take one step closer to our creator. I want to turn this morning to the book of Galatians, chapter 6. The book of Galatians, though we refer to it as a book, is actually a letter. It was a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in a city called Galatia. Now, in that church, there were some issues that were happening. Even the first century church had issues. Every church through history has issues because when you get a bunch of people together, stuff's going to happen. Even people that like each other will occasionally rub each other the wrong way. Over Christmas, I spent the week uh, in Fort Myers. My dad owns a, a home in Fort Myers, Florida. And a lot of family gathers in, in Fort Myers, Florida after Christmas. Usually there's 13, 14, 15 of us. But this year, for whatever reason, there were 27 of us together in one house. And I'm not talking about a big house. I'm talking like a regular size house, like 1,600 square feet. Now you put 27 people together who are related, who love each other in the same house. It doesn't matter. We're going to rub each other the wrong way. Half of the 27 were teenagers. So that comes with its own unique opportunities. In this church in, in Galatia, 
there were some things happening. There was some rubbing that was happening. And as a result, the people in that church began to shun and shame each other. And so the apostle Paul is going to, going to call attention to this and say, look, listen, you are the beloved of God. And as the beloved of God, your calling is to do good, especially to one another. Galatians chapter six, I want to read verses nine and 10 to begin the apostle Paul writing. And he said, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we'll reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Do good. That's a pretty broad statement. Do good. I read the Gospels. Jesus did good. Jesus, as he lived his life, raised the dignity of people in a culture and society that did not place a lot of value on human life. In the days that Jesus walked the earth, most people were one poor decision away from slavery. In the Roman Empire, there were more slaves than there were free people. In the Roman Empire, if you had a baby and you decided you didn't want a baby, it was perfectly acceptable to leave that baby outside to be devoured by wild animals or killed by exposure. They just didn't value life the way we value life. So Jesus comes. Jesus raises the dignity and value of people. The first century church modeling Jesus' behavior became the ones who did good to all people. They were the ones that served the poor, the marginalized of society, those that nobody cared about. The Christians were the ones that took care of the sick. And yes, the Christians were the ones that found those babies left outside in the cold and brought them into their home and raised them as their own. And so I would say, yeah, I, the first century church did good in the world. But that word good, it's, it's a worn word. It's, it's, a, it's a subjective word. How do we define what is good and what is not good? My son, Ryan, is is quite the little chef. He loves to cook, and I love to eat, so it works out great. Right now, he is perfecting his steak recipe. He makes his own spice mix, and he has this stuff that he does. And when he's done cooking a steak, it actually is quite stellar. It's better than any restaurant steak I've ever had. But there's a thing that I like to do when he makes a steak, because I, you know, we all like food a different way, so he'll present his steak. And then I will take a craft cheese single and melt it over the top. Oh, it's so good. No, it is. It's good. I love it. But it makes him so mad. He says, Dad, I just spent all this time making this to perfection, and you're going to put that thing on it that's not even real cheese? Dad, don't do that. And I'll say, but Ryan, it's good. And he'll say, it is not good. We differ on the definition of good. Sometimes we use the word good as a filler word. I'll walk out in the lobby today. Maybe I'll say to you, hey, how's it going? And you'll say, it's good. And even if it's not good, You'll still say it's good because you just don't really want to talk about it, so let's just move on. In the New Testament, the word 
good quite literally means moral excellence revealed through action. Therefore, Christianity is not something to be passively observed, but something that is actively participated in. Which is difficult because much of our life is lived in passive observance. I go to the movie theater. I only go to the ones now that have the recliners with the heated seats. And I recline back and I spend two and a half hours passively observing folks on a screen. Even if I go to a concert, if I go to see my favorite band, I may tap my feet and sing along, but I'm still a passive observer. And today at noon, when I go home and I watch the Bills beat the Dolphins, oh, I'm, I'm pretty obnoxious when I watch football, but I'm still a passive observer because I'm not in the game. I'm not picking up the ball. I certainly didn't practice or train. Christianity is not something to be passively observed, but it's a life that's actively embraced. See, the invitation of both Jesus and the Apostle Paul is the invitation to not only watch the game, but get in the game. I want to turn back to the book of Galatians chapter 6, because the Apostle Paul then begins to outline what it means to get in the game, to be an active participant in our faith. Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. Brothers and sisters... If someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks they're something when they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us describe, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So as we consider these, these verses, we answer the question, what does it mean to do good by describing the way that we come alongside other people? Because that's what the Apostle Paul mentions in the verses of this chapter. See, doing good means coming alongside those who have mishandled life. Verse 1, if someone's caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Doing good means extending mercy rather than judgment. He also goes on to say that that doing good means coming alongside others and helping them hold the weight of life. Verse 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Doing good means extending compassion. Doing good means sitting in the ashes with others and holding life with them. 
But see, doing good also means cultivating kindness through action that honors God's spirit and makes life better for others. Verses 9 and 10. Let us not become weary in doing good. Let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. It means serving others, making life better, not because we have to, but because we want to. This morning when you walked in to this building, many of you walked straight over to the coffee pot and you put in your glass, your cup, the nectar from heaven and life got better. The reason life got better is because someone showed up hours ago before you got here and made sure that that pot was full. Others of you, before you walked into this room, you went downstairs and you dropped your children off in kids' church. And life got better. For them and for you. For just a moment. Do you realize there are hundreds of people that plan during the week, show up early, and make sure there is a warm environment to take care of your children, not because they see themselves as a daycare service. No, 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 no. They see themselves as an opportunity to share Christ's love that meet their needs at their level of understanding. Maybe you've been in the hospital because you were sick or had surgery and someone showed up and visited you, came and sat with you, maybe delivered some meals while you recovered. Life got better because someone chose to serve. Each one of us are gifted by God. The, the scriptures refer to them as spiritual gifts. The apostle Paul explains this in the book of Romans chapter 12 when he writes, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy with the accordance of your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is to give, give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. One of the working metaphors for the Christian church is the metaphor of the body. And like our body has parts for reasons— my ear has a reason for existing. My stomach has a reason for existing. My feet have a reason for their existence. Each one of us play a role in making the body of Christ happen. And every other part needs the other parts to function properly. So this morning, if I bend down and I jump in the air... Multiple parts of my body were working together in unison to make that happen. See, each part does something for the whole so it functions well. We have gifts that translate into a function 
that makes the body of Christ work. It is for the common good of the church, and it is a gift of God's spirit, not just a personality thing, not just a talent thing. See, we are gifted to serve others. I want to turn now to 1 Peter chapter 4, beginning in verse 10. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Quite frankly, we need each other. I need you and you need me. Just before Christmas, I was having one of those moments. You ever just had a moment in which you throw yourself a pity party and the only person that's invited is you? Well, I threw one for myself and I just was thinking, am I, why am I, am I, am I doing any good anywhere? Am I making anyone's life better? Just had one of those moments. And so ironic how things work. That day in the mail, I received a card from someone in this church and I receive all kinds of cards and letters and some of them are interesting, but this one in particular came and the person just wrote all the ways that I'd impacted their life and it was just a card of encouragement. And I sat back and I thought I just needed that in the moment. That individual who wrote that card was expressing the gift of encouragement. There are others you love to serve, maybe behind the scenes, that's just your, your wiring and your calling. You may not know this, but there's some individuals that show up at Northbrook during the week and they come in and they straighten all the chairs that you're sitting in and they fill the little pockets with the connection cards and the offering envelopes. They put the pens in there. And one of the persons, people that I talked to that did that, they said, you know, Mike, as I do that, I pray over every single chair as I go for whoever's going to be sitting in that chair this week person does it because they want to serve you. We are gifted to serve, to do good to all. Turning to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, now to each one, the manifestation is given for the common good. That phrase common good means achieving something better. At Northbrook Church, we strategically align ourselves around three words. Most of you know them, discover, grow, and share. We want to be a church where anyone can come and discover who Christ is and his love. We want to be a church where you can come and grow in your faith. But we also want to be a church where you can share your life, not only with those within this church, but with the world around us. Deliberately using my time, my resources, and my gifts to achieve something better. I remember the first time I was invited to share my life in a volunteer capacity, I was in college and I became part of our college's prison ministry, which meant once a month I got in a van with a bunch of students from my college and we traveled to different prisons within the state of Missouri and held chapel services, prayed with inmates, spent time with them and and talked with them. I received nothing in return. We just went and shared the love of Christ with people that were incarcerated. We did it in Jesus' name and we did it because we wanted to share our life. Years ago, I was serving in a different church, and we had a mops group, mothers of preschoolers. And uh, though I was a, a, the 
pastor, I, I didn't, you know, I it's kind of get the, the lines blur. Am I working? Am I serving? But in this church, we had a mother's a preschooler group and they needed volunteers to help watch the kids while the moms did their group. And so I said, I'll volunteer some time. And they put me with the three-year-olds. And uh, let me tell you, me and a bunch of three-year-olds is a dangerous combination because um, I like kids and I, the, the, the activity they, that they assigned for my group that day was, was we were going to finger paint. Now, if you've had a three-year-old, this, this already starts bad. And they put all these blank pieces of paper on the wall and they said, Mike, they're going to finger paint, but make sure they don't get paint on the wall. I'm like, come on, man, seriously? So when that person left, I told the kids, go for it, man. We're going to make this whole wall into a mural of goodness. And I, I did it not because I got anything in return, but I did it to serve a bunch of mothers of preschoolers who just needed some time with other moms. And I did it in Jesus' name. And I just wanted to share my life. Therefore, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to all people especially those who belong to the family of believers. Let us do good to all people. Yeah, but what about those people? No, 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 no. All people. Yeah, but what about those? No. The word all means all. Let us do good to all people, especially the family of believers. There are groups of people that make this church work, and without them, it ceases to exist. When you walked in the door today, you were probably greeted by hopefully a smiling face. They showed up early to serve you. This morning as we sang songs, we have very talented musicians and singers who are simply here volunteering their time so you can have a worship experience. There are people right now sitting back in the tech booth They're doing what they do so you can hear me, so you can see the projection on the screens. There are dozens and dozens of people in this church who lead life groups, not because they're compensated, because they're not. They lead groups simply because they want to see you grow in their faith and they're willing to share a little bit of their life. Last week in our children's ministry, there were 55 volunteers down there serving your children. Now, really to make it work, they need 74, but they just kind of piece it together. But there are some gaps. Each week in this place, as we gather together worship, it takes 18 people every service to make all of this happen. Our student ministry on Wednesday requires 40 adult volunteers and 25 student volunteers to make it work. work. Now, I, I tell you this because it has nothing to do with what I want from you and everything to do with what I want for you. Last weekend, as we opened the book of Galatians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul wrote, I'm in, I'm in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. And I, I want to see Christ formed in you. I want Christ to be formed in all of us. And one of the ways we grow, one of the ways we're formed into Christ is when we use our gifts as part of our spiritual growth. And quite frankly, I'm, I'm not interested in just filling slots around here. I'm interested in releasing gifting. Because if you, like, if you don't like kids, I'd rather have not enough volunteers than have you down there. Right? Or 
if you say, Pastor Mike, I want to serve, but I do not like to smile and I'm grumpy. Well, okay, but there's lots of room for you, just not as a greeter. (laughs) Put you behind a camera, you can scowl the whole service. There are some folks in this church that love the outdoors. They love to garden, and so in the summer they show up once a week, and they do some of the gardening simply because they love to do it. When you drive in and you see the big circle with the big cross, all the flowers in there, that's all maintained by volunteers. There are other folks in this church that love to serve the poor and the needy, and so some of them show up early on Monday morning. Now, I get here early. I get here at 7.30 to the office, and they've already, they're already here. They, they get here, they grab one of our vans, and they go to Piggly Wiggly and Quick Trip and get some of the day-old bread and food, and they take it to different food pantries around the city of Milwaukee simply because they want to serve. Now, it's one thing for you to hear about all this from me, but let me let you hear it from one of the words of our volunteers. Let me turn your attention to the screens. One of the reasons I decided to volunteer is that there were, I noticed a empty seat where I would think a cameraman would sit. And I thought that that might be a good place for me to help out in a church because of my background in photography. So I decided to volunteer, come in and see what I can do. My experience with the tech team has actually been enjoyable for me because I meet some new people, try some new things. I like seeing how the tech team, even the worship team, try different things throughout practice, rehearsal, and uh, actually during the service. That it gives me a lot of enjoyment to actually sit and listen to them and see how they're coming together. And um, also, I feel good about helping the church get the service out to the people who can't attend. First time uh, in, you're, you're sitting there shadowing other people. So you hear a little bit about the communication going back and forth, and if you can work with that, great. I, I had no problem with that. But Dan was there, actually sitting there and telling me everything I needed to know about the camera. However, I knew most of it, but they gave me a few instructions and they let me go at it. If I had some problems, and people to talk to. There people that would give me the answers. Personally, being involved with the tech team helps me realize, yes, I am being involved in something much bigger than me. The people at the church actually make it so easy to volunteer and be part of what they're doing. That's what I really enjoy. So right now, everybody turn a lot, turn around. Lenny is right there on camera one. Wave at us, Lenny. <laughs> on the count of three, we're all going to say thanks, Lenny. One, two, three. Thanks, Lenny. If you're watching this online right now, one of the reasons you're able to watch online is because of people like Lenny who share their life. Last weekend, we had 800 people tune in to our online service. And part of it, is because of Lenny. So what's your next step? Maybe this week your next step is to go out into our lobby and find one of our pastors who are wearing a shirt with this little logo on it and ask them, hey, is there a way I can get involved? Or send us an email this week and 
will point you in, in the right direction. Because maybe, maybe this week, it's time to pick up the ball and get in the game. Pick up the ball, get in the game. Pick up the ball, get in the game. Lord, I am grateful for all the volunteers of our church. I'm thankful for all the ways that hundreds and hundreds of people have committed to sharing their life with not only the community of faith, but the world around us. My desire is that we would be a church, a church of the beloved, the beloved of God, who are known for doing good. Amen.